We have the great pleasure to be joined by American soccer great uh, Alexi Lalas, now soccer analyst for Fox Sports. And uh, Alexi, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me, man. These these digs are pretty incredible. You guys got it's here. not bad Holy here at uh, WMR. It's amazing. Yeah, um, you know, obviously big couple of weeks coming up. Yep. The soccer world. You got the World Cup, uh, and you can of course uh, see it all on Fox Sports. It's tough because the U.S. isn't in. Sure. I mean, that's where you have to start. Sure. What is the draw? for a casual soccer fan to dive in when the quote-unquote home team isn't in? Sure. I mean, this is obviously the first question that, that myself and all my colleagues get. Uh, you know, what, what, what does this mean for soccer and for this summer of soccer with, uh, with the World Cup? It's disingenuous for me or any of us to say that it doesn't matter. Um, it was an incredible failure, and it will paint a lot of what happens this summer. However, um, the American soccer community and the American soccer culture is no longer underground. It is above ground. It is vibrant. It is discerning. Uh, it is unique. And most, most importantly, it loves a party that celebrates the greatest game uh, on this planet. The other thing is, is those that maybe aren't into soccer that sometimes come to it every four years. And certainly when we put on the red, white and blue and scream and yell, there's a, there's a lot uh, to be made of that. Uh, but they, they understand that this is a, a game that's played all over the world and that this is a party that is celebrated every four years from a men's perspective that you want to be a part of. And I think it'll be very interesting to see how everybody gravitates and where they gravitate to when it comes to these teams, whether they like, I don't know, they like the fact that the, the good-looking players or the jerseys uh, or the, the national anthem or the stories that we're going to tell on Fox of the players and of these countries and how they, they came to be. And I think everyone will have different affiliations and some that are, that, are, that are more obvious because of our incredible diversity that makes us the greatest country in the world. We have these connections and these attachments to cultures and countries out there but some that maybe will you know you you just might be drawn to something this summer and it's our uh, our privilege and our pleasure to bring it to the u.s i know living in queens it's amazing when the world cup comes around because two blocks away i've got little egypt right and then it's a greek neighborhood in astoria uh you go to the beer garden and there's a bunch of supporters of el tri in mexico there it's remarkable um you know how how you know in a diverse area like Queens especially, but in the country overall, you know there, there's always somebody yeah. for someone to root for. Yeah, I, I don't think that there is a country out there that is better equipped to handle a men's World Cup that doesn't feature a host team than the United States because of uh, just the incredible diversity that we have. And we have all of these different connections. And that's going to be on display. And that would have been on display no matter what. I think it gets amped up. And in a certain way, we get to spread the wealth, uh, if you will. Whereas when the U.S. team is there, and, and uh, in no way am I saying it's a good thing, and no way I'm saying I, I wouldn't rather have the U.S. to be there. But since they're not there, we get to spread our view uh, and our attention uh, and all the energy and resources that go into obviously covering the, the home team now get dispersed to all of these different teams. And I think some different players, some different countries, and some different stories are going to emerge. You know, it, it's fun, too. Professional sports, you know, the Mets' top rivals, the Nationals, or the Yankees, mm-hmm. the Mets fan isn't going to root for those teams. But in college sports, what often happens is if you're a fan of the Gators right. and an SEC team is in the championship, you then suddenly start rooting for that at a you know pride sure. for your conference. Do, is there anything like that that should be in play uh, for the U.S. to gravitate towards mm-hmm. a Mexico or you know, somebody who's ordinarily a rival of, right. uh, of the U.S.? So I'm not going to tell anybody who they have to <laughs> to support. Well, is there a I guess a, like for college, there's a, a bragging rights yeah. for your conference. Is the is there anything that the U.S. could gain by the region? 
getting more respect. Yeah, so the, the representatives from our region, which is called CONCACAF, that we are sending to this World Cup, we have three of them this time. Obviously, the U.S. isn't one of them, with Mexico, uh, Costa Rica, and Panama going. Panama going for the first time ever. Uh, so from a regional perspective, yeah, I, I would want to support those that are in our region because it represents what we, what we are, and it, it helps lift up everybody around. Uh, me personally... And this is being said by a former player for the U.S. Um, I actually want to see Mexico do well. And I sometimes say that, and I've taken a lot of crap over the last couple of weeks uh, for, for saying that. Uh, in no way does that diminish my passion or my love for the U.S. Uh, for the U.S. team or for the United States. But I can recognize that in 2018, especially when it comes to Mexico, with all of these incredible connections, you know, I live in, in Los Angeles. You can't live in the United States, let alone in Los Angeles, without an understanding and a respect for how our two cultures and our two countries are, are intertwined. And uh, I, I recognize that in that I want to see Mexico do well. Did I want to beat them? And certainly if the, if I was, if the U.S. was in there, would I, would I be rooting for the U.S.? Of course. But... I can, at least from a personal perspective, I can look at Mexico and say, I want them to do well. They're an exciting team. They're an interesting team. They have some very, very good players. They have a really interesting coach. They got a difficult group, and their first game of this World Cup is against the defending champions, uh, Germany. So it's going to be fun to see what El Tri does, um, it, not just globally and how they are perceived, but obviously in the, uh, in the U.S., given our connections to Mexico. They do throw like bags of pee at the U.S. fans that go down to Azteca, though, right? I mean, it's kind of tough to. Notwithstanding the. Uh, the the golden showers that we have often received <laughs> over the over the years. Uh, I I still I still love I, you know even those environments. I always looked at it as, as a uh, what as, is it like playing there? It's got to be nuts. It's, it's, nuts. A, it's, it's the nuts. biggest stadium ever, right? And, and it's, it's uh, so Azteca, altitude, yeah, everything. altitude, and Azteca. I mean, it, it is a Thunderdome type of existence, and not just there. You go down to Costa Rica, and you go down to a lot of these different countries, and they make it very very difficult. And I always I always looked at it with a, a kind of punk ethos where I, I wanted it. I mean, spit, throw stuff, batter coins, uh, screws, as you said, bags of urine, all this, all this kind of stuff. It's all kind of part of the experience. I loved it. If, a, if an entire stadium is screaming at you uh, a, 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 and against you, that's fine. That's, for me, it's, as long as there is a reaction out there, I fed off of that type of stuff. We just make Costa Rica play in the snow. Hey, uh, right, all. I know. Hey, listen, yeah, all's fair. <laughs> and talking again with Alexi Lalas, uh, soccer analyst, Fox Sports. The World Cup starts up on June 14th. Uh, we'll get into some of the other subplots, but obviously, again, the U.S. is not in this year's World Cup. As the shock of that has dissipated a bit, can you go back and point to something that went so horrifically wrong where the U.S. is unable to qualify? Yeah, I mean, I think looking at this team, first off, the soccer gods did not smile on us. I mean, there were multiple, multiple scenarios that would have had the U.S. to go through on that last day, and one that wouldn't, and that's the one that ended up happening. It's the, the, you know, the perfect storm, if you will. Having said that, I think that this, this team lacked a, uh, a collective belief in themselves an identity as to how they wanted to play. I think it lacked depth. Um, and ultimately, I think it took lightly a qualifying group that uh, was not to be taken lightly. And we let our foot off the gas. And there, people talk about silver linings. But that's the last game, right? Or you're talking about Trinidad uh, listen, and Tobago? Exactly, exactly. It's the last game. How do you let your foot off uh, the gas? Listen, I, I, I wish I had an answer. Yeah. I wish I had a, a, something to point to and say this was the problem. Ultimately, it was, it was not the fault. It's not systemic. It's not a, a situation where we have to blow up what we are doing. We do have to re-examine, and we certainly have to get, uh, get better, but ultimately what ended up happening is a collection of players and, uh, and multiple coaches, because there was two mm -hmm. different coaches, failed. 
and it happens. And it doesn't mean that they're not individually good, but I think collectively, while this was a good group of talented players, it wasn't a good team. But one thing, one word you used, that they lacked identity. Mm-hmm. What is an identity that might work? Is that a, a player-to-player, person-to-person thing or a, a style of play it's, that you think that they should it's, embrace? This is how we are going to play. And it's a collective, not just identity, but it's a collective understanding and agreement that this is how we are going to play and an acceptance uh, and fitting players in that are going to play like that. And an identity of who you are. Um, and, and each team has a different identity. It's, it's a, a, and an understanding of, you know, we're going to be this run-and-gun team. We are going to be a team maybe that absorbs more pressure. We're going to be a team that, that puts it on other teams, all, all that kind of stuff. And then accepting that from a collective and going out there and, and doing it. I think we tried to be so many things to so many people. Ultimately, we were never anything um, that that was going to be successful because we didn't have a collective understanding of what we were going to do. Is there a style that you think would resonate in America? I think uh, people talk about possession in soccer, and they equate that with good soccer. And listen, there is some very beautiful soccer that is played. Spain's unbelievable to watch. That's all fine and well. You can talk about being that, but if you don't have the players to do that, I think for a long time we have had an identity as a soccer-playing nation where we don't have a lot of possession. But... The possession that we do have, uh, we use to, to the uh, we use to the fullest. In that we absorb pressure sometimes, and we are able to counter. We are great on set pieces. We know we believe that we can compete against everybody. Not in terms of the individual skill necessarily, but collectively we are uh, we we are better, and we understand that it's not going to be easy. That we're going to have to get down and dirty. And I think there's appreciation for that. Now that's as I said, not equated with evolved type of soccer and it doesn't mean that we can't get better and add more possession to our game but uh, you know once again I think we lost some of that and and while we evolve I just don't want us to throw the baby out with the bathwater of what is what has gotten us here and what the reality is just because we're not at the World Cup doesn't mean that all is lost and that we aren't a soccer playing nation yeah but uh, the the U.S. will be will be watching the world uh, in the cup this year and again it starts up June 14th on Fox as we chat with Alexi Lalas here in the sports zone as far as one of the big subplots, Lionel Messi there yep. with Argentina, what do you think is, how do you describe what's on the line for him personally in this World Cup? I don't know. You know more about other sports than I do, and I don't know if there's a, if we can equate it to any other athlete well, out there. It's bigger than any domestic sport, I would yeah. think, because it's about, about his pressure, country the and pressure. the international stage, and the World Cup is the World Cup, and anything short of winning it for him is... The mark against his legacy. Exactly. And that's, I mean, we're talking about one, and for a lot of people, arguably the greatest player ever to play the game. But until he actually holds up a World Cup for Argentina, there is going to be this this asterisk, if you will, in that in that discussion. And why? Because he is under the shadow of Diego Maradona. Diego Maradona, one of the other you know, great players to ever play the game, led Argentina to a World Cup. And when you are diminutive, when you are uh, left-footed, when you are a number 10, an attacking, scoring type of player, and when you play for Argentina, you are always going to be compared to the great one in terms of uh, Diego Maradona. And until you can actually do that, people are going to say, well, yeah, but he didn't win the World Cup. It's not fair, but... Life isn't fair and soccer isn't fair. Now, basketball is a sport where the best player controls the game to a degree that sometimes it is fair to look mm-hmm. at championships. A quarterback, you can often say the same thing. They're, they're so impactful in the sport. Baseball, one player can't really impact that much where you could just judge him based on championships. Is it fair to do that in soccer? It's fair when it comes to uh, Messi because he plays for a very, very good team. 
Uh, you know, for example, you know, we're going to talk about the stars on Fox this, this this summer. You know, so we'll have plenty of Messi, we'll have plenty of Neymar, we'll have plenty of Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, when it comes to someone like Cristiano Ronaldo, he's playing on a Portugal team that, in my estimation, is not as good as an Argentina team. And so, I think it's fair to put it in uh, to put it in context as to who you have around you. For example, I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo, in terms of this this conversation about how good he is. Mm-hmm is going to necessarily it does, he doesn't need the world cup as much as Messi does I guess is what I'm saying because Messi is a more talented team yes, I, I think, guess my question is more broad as a soccer player yeah. if you're the best player on the field how much can you determine the outcome of a game relative to maybe some other sports sure so we 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 talk about Messi for example in the context of playing for Barcelona the only team that he has ever played for professionally and he has changed fundamentally the way the game has played and but it's always in this context so i would love to see Messi go play for a struggling uh, subpar, less than uh, talented team and see what he looked like because you're you're absolutely right you can affect change but you got to have a supporting cast and he has certainly had supporting cast when it comes to Barcelona and he does when he plays for for Argentina right now but there is only so much that you can do however this is a guy who has at times taken Argentina on his shoulders and he's going to have to do it again this summer is there a team that maybe is more of a, a dark horse second tier right. or maybe a, a young player that can emerge as we see every time around in the World Cup it seems that you can identify beforehand right so if you're if you're a betting person um <laughs> your, your easy money and your safe money is going to be on the defending champions uh, germany i would also put spain and probably uh brazil in that category then underneath it we're talking about your argentinas we're talking about your france's belgium's maybe um you know maybe a uh let's maybe i'll put it a portugal in there then you started to get into much longer shots uh and that's where england comes in uh, just because I haven't done it for a long time, although I am actually bullish on England really? this, uh, this summer. I think they're actually going – I am quietly confident, which means they're definitely bombing out. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is fun to see, which is fun to see too. And then you have teams like, uh, you know, Morocco or something like that, which I think actually can have a, a very good, uh, a good World Cup. But this is – as you mentioned, this is what happens. We, we go in with the best laid plans, and then the soccer gods say, you know what, we're going to take twists and turns, and we're going to follow every one of those twists and turns this summer on Fox and bring it to you – and not just the games, but you know whether it's the you know the 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 backstories you know with our partnership with National Geographic, we're going to give you uh, the the players, the teams, the stories. Also, one of the biggest stars this summer is going to be the country, Russia. I've I've never been to Russia. I grew up in the '70s and '80s in, in the suburbs of Detroit, and what Russia was. I can't wait to see and compare and contrast. You know, I grew up watching you know Big Bad Russia, and it was war games and. Firefox and Red Dawn and all these uh, all these things that that's why I equa- what I equated with uh, with Russia and so I'm really interested to see Russia through the through the prism and through the lens of a World Cup and see what measures up and what doesn't. Vodka should be good. Hey, look, you, you can't go you can't go wrong with that. <laughs> uh, you're the former GM of the Red Bulls too. Long time ago, yeah. When, when are we getting the Red Bulls over the top? Uh, over the top, uh, look, uh, the, I think what they have done uh, with the Red Bulls is very, very interesting because it's almost as if they've gone the completely opposite direction of what NYCFC has uh, has done. Both have been successful, and certainly of late, there's a consistency when it comes to the Red Bulls. But look, this is, this is New York. or sorry, this is New York. And when I say New York, I mean New Jersey. <laughs> and in the New York metropolitan area, 
They want you to win. They want that money shot. Just the way Argentina wants Messi to hold up that uh, World Cup and will accept nothing less in New York, you got to be winning. And until they actually win that MLS Cup, uh, they're going to suffer. I know for me, I'm kind of a budding soccer fan, I guess. Didn't grow up a whole lot with it. But, you know, hanging out in the supporter section of Red Bull Arena sure. a few times, it really grips you and it becomes – you know, so much more than a sporting event, so much fun. Have you have you obviously played, but have you ever had the opportunity to spend a game in a supporter section sure, somewhere? Sure, I have multiple times, and it is it's a very different vantage point and a very different way of looking at the game, and it's fun. And you mentioned, uh, you know, the 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 excitement and the the interesting uh, part of sitting in a supporters se- uh, section. It's not just the ninety minutes. There is a there is a culture, and we talked about identity earlier. There's an identity now for American soccer fans. As I said, they are they are passionate. They are discerning um they are incredibly uh, emotional about this game they will defend it to the end and i love that about this american soccer culture and a lot of it is this supporters culture mm-hmm. where you have a generation now that that, that sees themselves and almost defines themselves through the game in the way that they talk, in the way that they dress, in the way that they look at themselves as it relates to their own country, as it relates to other countries, through this soccer prism. I think it's really, really interesting to see this ownership that the American soccer uh, supporters culture has taken. No, I know. I, I can certainly see it growing amongst my friends you know, in 20s, 30s uh, years old and you know, being in the supporters section, and it's not just hipster of type of. It's not oh. all hipster stuff. It's yeah. it's it is it is real. <laughs> it is genuine. And if you get into it, uh, it will it will grab a hold of you, and it will not let you go. The tailgates are good too. You yeah, know? It's, listen, uh, it's listen. for everybody. And uh, one thing I didn't know about you until I was researching, I knew you were coming in. You, you're musical. You have I like a, a new album music. out. Yeah, I just, I just dropped. I don't know if just the kids, dropped. Do the kids say that anymore? I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if they say it anymore. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I just released a new album called Sunshine. You can, uh, you can check it out uh, on all the different platforms, whether it's uh, you know Spotify or iTunes or Amazon or anything like but that. But there was so. a time in the late '90s in Europe, it was what I read, that you opened for Hootie and the I did. Blowfish? Yeah, we toured, we toured for a while with uh, with Hootie over in uh, Europe. So yeah, look, music has has been a part of my life even before I was kicking a ball, and it's certainly a life a part of a huge part of my life after it's something i i take as seriously as uh as anything else that i've ever done it's a it, it's i there's i can't stop doing it's what i do and so you know i release albums pretty much every couple of years for all three of my fans including my mom not always my mom but usually my mom uh and uh, and it goes out there and it's it's just straight ahead pop rock short pop rock songs uh, put the put it in your uh, you know put it in your car put the windows down crank it up and drive fast i always hate to ask the non question question but like can you share one story from being in Europe touring with Hootie and the Blowfish when they were huge in yeah, the uh, was, mid to late nineties? It, it was nuts, and they were they were so kind to take us out there and and, and promote us and let us uh, let us go out. And you know, they, our our music was a little we were a little bit more uh, you know rockish and and pop rockish and stuff like uh, stuff like that. But yeah, you know, getting on stage, I would come on stage later on in the show every night with them and uh you know, uh play and sing on uh you know, hold my hand or whatever and stuff like that. And it was it was amazing to see this phenomenon. It wasn't at the height, it wasn't at the, you know, the friends height or anything like okay. that, but it was it was amazing to see this band and you know, they took their hits just like every band that gets successful and stuff like that, but great musicians, wonderful people, huge huge sports fans, uh all of them what's uh, you know, and uh and it, it it was fun. We were in Amsterdam and Copenhagen and, and and all over Germany and stuff like that. And there were some very very interesting nights. Shall well, we? Give me say. one of them. Uh, let's see. So being in a rock bar and playing full on eighties metal for about six hours in Amsterdam and screaming whether it was rat 
or uh, Motley Crue uh, or Dio uh, or uh, or Van Halen at the top of our lungs with 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 my band, with their band, and just just loving it. And every song coming on, everybody knowing every word, and uh, I will never forget being there and and you know seeing Darius. Uh, Scream and yell, uh, you know, uh, as he's singing uh, "Round and Round" from Rat. Nice. You gotta get some uh, some gigs in Russia too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Listen, I, I I can't I can't wait. Like I said, to get over there and see what it's all about. It's gonna be really fun. June 14th, World Cup on Fox Sports. Alexi Lalas. One more so, thing, really before, appreciate before it. Before I go, uh, June 14th, we do start our coverage, but. Keep in mind, it, it's really, really big. On June 13th, they are going to announce where the two, 2026 World Cup is going to be played. Oh. The United States, Mexico, and Canada is vying to host it. Uh, fingers crossed we get it because that would be the first time that the Men's uh, World Cup has come back to the United States since 1994, uh, a summer that I remember well. Of course, uh, the Rose Bowl. Uh, there you, you go. Your team was able to take care there of business. Where would that be? Is that determined what cities might be involved? Or? Oh, there's a bunch of different cities, but it, it would be a joint host with them. I think it, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to bring our friends to the north and our friends to the south together in celebration of this World Cup, and I really hope that we get it. It would be a wonderful way to come on air on the 14th to start off mm-hmm. this, uh, this World Cup from Russia with this incredible news. Very very cool. So uh, June 13th, that announcement will be coming down. Thanks, Alexi. Thank you.